But if you'd grab your Bible and uh, grab your Bible and go to John chapter 12. I am very, very proud of you. I'm so glad that you're getting this 40 days. I've been writing on my blog every day. Some of you didn't believe that that could be done. That was a great act of faith. I've written for every day for 36 uh, days. And uh, so excited for what I'm hearing, the testimonies and the stories, how people are growing in their faith. You're going to hear some of that today. If if you want to follow more, you follow me on Twitter. If you want to tweet some of the stuff you hear today, there are very tweetable lines coming. So go ahead and get ready for that. It's going to be a good morning. John chapter 12. And then find um, Mark chapter 14 and put your uh, marker there. We'll come to that in a minute. John 12 and Mark 14. Six days before the Passover, this is the Passover where Jesus was crucified. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. The story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is in the previous chapter, but about two months have have happened between these two chapters. About eight weeks of time have occurred, and so Jesus is now in the home of Lazarus. They gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment or oil, perfume, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Amazing passage of scripture that shows the stark contrast between two individuals, two individual hearts. I want you to ask yourself a very personal question today. And the question is this, am I grateful? Am I grateful? It's a question to you. It's not for anybody else. It's not for anybody else in your family. It's not for any other person, but for yourself to ask today as we go through this incredible passage of scripture, am I grateful? It's a powerful question. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd speak to us as you always do. Open up your word. May it penetrate deeply into us. And Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit once again. Empty empty me of myself. And may we all hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Why was this not sold for the poor? Why is this being wasted? Why are you pouring this out on the ground, something that could have been used to help so many people? It was the question that Judas asked. It's the question that lots of people ask even today. I, for one, heard this question or saw this question written in the newspaper when I served at a previous church in Philadelphia. I was on staff at a church that had grown from just a handful of people to several thousand in a short period of time. It grew not because it was an impersonal church, but because it was one of the most caring church families anywhere. People were so giving, and they they truly got the idea that we care about people. 
ministries to the poor and to the homeless in the inner city of Philadelphia. It was incredibly powerful, and eventually they purchased a piece of land, and they were building their building, and on the day, or the week of the dedication of the new building, a pastor of another congregation in the community wrote an opinion piece saying, why would they waste all of that money building this building? Why didn't they instead give that money to the poor? It sounds very pious, and it sounds very holy, and it actually begs a question. But don't you wish that you had the opportunity, or I do anyway, to go and to say something directly, because we can cut through that question in a heartbeat. If you're so holy and pious yourself, why haven't you sold your church and given it to the poor? You might want to say. You might want to say, well, you know, do you realize that this church that you're criticizing was giving a million dollars a year in outreach to the poor and to the homeless and to mission around the world? But you see, here's the thing. Uh, There's a heart of gratitude, and then there's a heart of entitlement and a heart of envy and a heart of jealousy. And they just get revealed in those kind of questions. You know who the first person was to come up with this question, this whole thing about let's, what should be sold and given to the poor? It was Judas, the one who betrayed our Lord. I wonder if you've ever asked that question like that or if you've ever thought something along those lines. I mean, how could they live in a house like that? <laughs> how could they drive that? I mean, good Lord, what could be done with what that, you know, what, what they spent on that? Those kind of thoughts enter into our heart so subtly and so, you know, innocuously, but they're there and they reveal something about our heart. Over time, we can get such a sense of entitlement, even though we've been given so much to us as a gift. I want you to think about Judas and how amazing it was that he would be picked to be part of the twelve. I mean, Jesus prayed all night asking God to give him 12 men to to go with him and whom he would impart everything about his mission, and he got to be one of those guys. Jesus took these men everywhere that he went, and they got to see everything up close. The crowds charged Jesus. They couldn't wait to be around him. They, They wanted all of him that they could get. He healed sick people. He met people's needs. There was no greater, wiser leader, and these guys had the front row seat. Judas wasn't just one of the 12. Jesus entrusted him with authority and with leadership. He made him the CFO of the group, gave him responsibility, made him a leader. He was right up close. Judas would be there when Jesus would touch people and they'd be raised from the dead. Judas was standing there when Jesus called out to an empty tomb or to a tomb that was dark, and a man would walk out, leaving the tomb empty. And now he's sitting in the home of that man, a man who was dead in the grave for four days. But his mind is not occupied with the miracle and about all the things that God has done. His mind is occupied with what Mary is doing, what he does not have. I want to talk about some three points today. The first one is this. What is the enemy of gratitude? The enemy of gratitude is entitlement. You know what entitlement is? That sense of, well, it's owed to me. I deserve. It's at the heart of almost every conflict in marriage. The conflict that starts with, well, you don't, 
I deserve better than the way you're treating me. I deserve more. Or after all that I have done for you, you should, the sense of entitlement. All marketing is based upon our sense of entitlement. You deserve a break today, what they used to say. You owe it to yourself to, you know, buy the BMW or whatever it is. You owe it to yourself after all that you've done and worked. You deserve a fabulous life and to have all the fabulous things. After all, you live in the land of the, you know... I could just go on. Do you realize how the sense of entitlement is really pervasive in our culture today? And it's the enemy of gratitude. You cannot be uh, grateful for something to which you feel entitled because there's a sense that something is owed to you. So why would you say thank thank you for it? Because I deserve it. I'm supposed to have it. Give it to me now. And so what's going on with Judas? Why is he so upset? Why is he so outraged? Why is he so angry? He saw it as lost opportunity. The Bible says he was a thief, right? Why was this money not given to the poor? It's not because he cares about the poor. It's not because he has any compassion for the poor. And we can all see that. It's because he saw a lost opportunity for him to get his hands on something because it said that you know, he would take something out. I can't imagine the idea that someone would steal from Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? It said that he would reach into the money bag and help himself. I guess he must have felt entitled. You see, here's what I think happened. I think he had this expectation that I get to be with Jesus. I'm one of the 12. Yes, I'll sign up. This is hard. We're out sleeping with no house, sleeping in the wilderness. That's okay because one of these days, like all the other 12, The kingdom is going to come. And when the kingdom comes, I'm going to get mine. I will get what is coming to me. And as they began to progress year after year, coming up to that third year, it became very apparent that Jesus' kingdom was not going to be what he thought. And he began to get upset. And he began to feel entitled, like, listen, I've given up a lot, and you're not going to come through and bless me now after all that I've done for you, and it's amazing how entitlement can blind you to every good thing. When you feel entitled to something, you can't even see grateful thoughts anymore. In fact, you'll start to take. A person who is entitled starts to take for themselves every chance they get because they feel that they're owed something, and if you're not going to give it to me, well, I'll get my reward over here, which is exactly what he starts to do. He starts to find and rationalize. I wonder what it was like the first time. He'll rationalize, well, you know, I've got to take my cut here at least. I'm one of the 12. Maybe I'll take a percentage off. I can reach in. Because, you know, after all, I'm doing, you know, it's, it'd be fair. I'm entitled for the work that I'm doing, accounting for all of this. It's amazing. Entitlement is the enemy of gratitude. And so here's people giving to support this ministry, and here he is stealing out of the money bag, Oblivious to that reality, criticizing the generosity, the actually the extravagant generosity of somebody else. Can you imagine uh, stealing from the offering? I mean, we've got boxes. We don't have money bags. But imagine going to the back and when no one's looking, sticking your hand in. Well, I've got a need, you know. We would never think of doing that, right? Right? You would never think of doing that. Nobody would do that. 
You know, the scripture says, will a man rob God? We've been talking about this these last few weeks. Would anybody steal from God? No, I wouldn't steal from God. And the Bible said, how can you, how can you say we're robbing from you? Well, if you wouldn't take out of the box what belongs to God, I mean, is keeping out of the box what belongs to God not stealing either? It's just a question. It's amazing how we are so much more sometimes in our thinking like Judas than Mary. I'm just pointing out that it's a lot easier to feel entitled. You know, it's my money. What do you mean? It's, no, it's not your money. You see, God has given everything to us. Everything you have. Even the brains that you have. The, the Deuteronomy says the ability to create wealth. That came from God. Well, no, I was educated. Yeah, who gave you that opportunity? Well, my parents paid. No, they, well, who gave them? And, and guess what? You got to be born here. I mean, you got, you, you, your body works. You're alive. You can, you could go and study. I mean, there, I mean, everything that you have has been given to you, but it's so easily, easily lost when we feel this enemy called entitlement. I deserve after all. And the problem is, is when we start to feel that way, we don't, we stop saying thank you. We stop appreciating what God has done for us. And this is what happened to Judas. There's a whole brand of Christianity that is around today that basically says God is here to do for you. I'm entitled. After all, you're a child of God. So you're entitled to every good thing. The problem is, is when you start to think that God is there for you, when he doesn't do for you what you think, you get upset and you get angry. After all I've done for God, after all I've given, after all my, you know, faithfulness, and now he treats me this way, and you stop going to church, and you give up, and you, you know, give up on God. Why? Where did that come from? I was entitled to something after all. I'm just saying, first of all, as you walk in to this time of the year where you're going to say you're thankful for a lot of things, I just want to bring up the enemy to all that, which is entitlement. I deserve. And it was the heart of this man, Judas. So let's look at the contrast now of this heart of this other woman, Mary, the extravagant contrast of gratitude. What does that look like? It says she took this expensive oil, this nard that was imported from India, and so, you know, there's no FedEx or UPS. I mean, this is very, very expensive. And it was worth at least a year of her, of her wage. A denarius is the singular of the word denarii, 300 denarii. A denarius was a day's wage in this time of history. And so you take out Sabbaths and you take out holidays, 300 denarii is like a year of her salary. And this woman gave up a year of her income and she's... She's pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. It's extravagant. I just want you to imagine you giving away freely a full year of your income and what that would feel like. And wait a second. No, not just giving it away, but like taking that money, a full year of your salary, buying something very, very expensive and pouring it out on somebody's feet. Imagine the extravagance. Why would she do something like that? I want you to tell you something right here that when we look at that, I know we don't understand it, but it's, there's an action there that just demands our attention. If you saw somebody doing that, you would be confronted with a barrage of thoughts. What in the world is she doing? And you'd be tempted to make a judgment call just like Judas. Why would she do that? After all, does she not know how? And you'd make a judgment call. 
But there's something else going on in her heart. And you see, gratitude is always expressed in action. Don't tell me you're grateful and you won't say anything and ever do anything about it. Well, God just knows my heart. What? God just, you're grateful. That's like saying to somebody, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, but you never express it, you never say anything, you never do anything. How are they supposed to know? What are you, a cardiologist? Are they supposed to know your heart? Stephen Furtick said that. We'd make a judgment call. We would somehow figure out, you know, why they're, what they're doing is somehow wrong because there's something about gratitude that just exposes. When we see extravagant gratitude, it exposes something within us. But, it's in, but this story invites us to take a look. If you're truly grateful, you will do something great. You'll be responsive. Unexpressed gratitude is a missed opportunity to praise God. You know, that's kind of why I've been saying to you guys, you know, when you hear something and God speaks to you, say so. Say something about it. That's why you say amen. Why? Because that, Darren, that, 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 I get it. That ministered to me. That talked to me. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Amen. Preach it, Darren. That's right. <laughs> that's why. I'm not asking because I need affirmation. I'm, I'm, I'm secure. I know, you know. I'm not asking this. This is for you. Are you grateful? It's not a feeling. What gift would it take for you to impress God? I want to ask you that question. What would it take? A million dollars? A whole year of your salary? What if it was a hundred million? Do you think that would impress God? Remember, this is God who owns everything. God has it all. It says in the scripture, the streets in his house or in his neighborhood are paved with gold, right? Um, There is nothing that God needs. There's no gift that you could bring to God that would impress him. What he's always looking for is a heart that will surprise him. So it's really not about what gift that it is. Listen to this scripture uh, that Paul is talking to the Macedonian church. He says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that these people, when they heard of this great need in Jerusalem, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, even beyond their means for their own, of their own accord. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, which is what... You know, we did when we gave to Haiti and to Sierra Leone a few years back. When we did that, we were begging, let us be a part of that. For, look, this, not as we, this was not as we expected, but look at this. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Every one of us can give God something that will impress him, and it's you. Will you give your whole life to him, your whole heart? Everything about me, God, I give to you. It's yours. God... Whatever you ask of me, I will do it. That's why I've been saying to you week after week and this whole series has been, okay, let's see what the action is then. Where is your heart? Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what does that reveal? And we've been talking about that week after week about how when you put God first in your giving, it is the greatest indicator of where your heart is. I've looked up again the statistics for the church, the body of Christ in Indianapolis. There's these three levels of giving in Scripture, right? There's the tithe, which is the, the, the first 10% that belongs to God. There's over and above, which are offerings that we give. And then you find in Scripture something called extravagant gifts, people that gave just crazy extravagant giving. But here in, in, in the city of Indianapolis, among people who claim to be Christ followers, 
Three and a half percent of Christ followers tithe 10% of their income. That's across the board, all different denominations here in the city of Indianapolis. So that tells us that not even the majority of people make it to the first level of giving in our community. It's just the truth. Not even, only three and a half percent actually bring to God what actually belongs to him. Undesignated, the first 10%. You say, why undesignated? Well, because we love to control everything with money. And you can't control something that doesn't belong to you. That's why the tithe is supposed to just go to the house of the Lord and you give it to him and Lord, this is yours because it's not mine. But, the, but here's the second thing. People who do that level of giving, they always go to the second level because when you give to God what belongs to him, he removes the curse, he, takes a, he pours out the window of heaven upon you, he blesses you, and there's always more, and you're able to give over and above these offerings, which then you can give to your heart's desire. Give to, to a ministry, give to a missionary, give to shepherd community, give wherever your heart desires. Bless what God puts on your heart. And God always enables people who have the ability to do this. It's just a fact. It's just the way that it works because God now has rebuked the devourer and he pours out his blessing upon you because he sees that you can be trusted. But then in scripture, there's this third level which you read about occasionally, but it's, it's all through the Old Testament, the New Testament. People who said, God, I'll just give to you this crazy sacrificial gift of extravagance. How about David when he gave billions of dollars to build the temple, or Solomon who sacrificed a thousand bulls of his own uh, herd in order to to celebrate uh, the dedication of the temple, or the widow of Zarephath who gave her last meal uh, to God first, or how about um, um, Abraham, who you're going to hear about in the small group this week, who didn't think it uh, too much to even offer his only son And on that same mountain where he came with his son 2,000 years later, God would offer his only son. And it wasn't too much for God to offer Jesus as a sacrifice. And so here's Mary. She doesn't even realize why she's doing this. Or, or, but there's just, all of a sudden, there's this whisper in her heart. Can you imagine, just imagine the room and here she is and she's sitting there and she's looking at Jesus having a conversation with her brother who eight weeks ago was dead, they buried him. And I think that there was just a moment of incredible gratitude that burst out in her heart, and a moment of, God, I'm so thankful for this moment. I don't want this moment to ever end. And she hears this whisper, and she goes and grabs the most expensive thing that she has, and she brings it out, and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. In that moment, gratitude was so great that it just changed her perspective on how she viewed everything else that she had. There was nothing more important than that moment. And she expressed it to God. In fact, the people got upset. It wasn't just Judas, but other people spoke. In Matthew's gospel, um, they started to harass Jesus and the lady because she was pouring this out and He said this in Matthew 26, in pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to me to prepare me for burial. She didn't even know why she was being called to do it. But you realize this was the only preparation for burial that Jesus' body ever had because he was crucified. It was the Sabbath, the Passover. They took him down, put him in the tomb. There was no way to prepare his body. That's why on the resurrection Sunday, they were coming with the burial spices to anoint his body, but he was already raised and gone. She didn't know that she would be the only one privileged enough to care for the body of Jesus. 
I heard this week of a family in our church going through incredible financial difficulty, just hard times. It's been difficult. And they were sitting in this service last week, and they saw all these boxes out here. And as they were sitting here, one uh, in that moment, God just quietly whispered, just, you know, that little voice that says, this is what I want you to do. And the wife says, even though we're flat broke, God wants us to take one of those boxes. She turns to her husband, and he says, God's speaking to me too. I think we should take two. They're walking out to the car, and apparently the husband says to his wife, says, you know what? Um, or no, the wife says to the husband, it's more than that. God wants me to give all the money that I make on tips tomorrow, the entire day. He wants me to give that to him. And he says, well, do what the Lord tells you. She comes back home totally excited because she says, you're not going to believe this. I said tomorrow was the day that I was going to give all the tips to the Lord. Why is it that just so happens that, to, that today I made four times the tips I ever make? You know? This is the blessed life. You want to see God, listen to his whispers, do what he says, and walk by faith. It's the way, it's, it's just responding in gratitude. After all God's done for you, respond when he speaks to you. And so this is the reward, number three, of generosity or, and the reward of gratitude. When you, when you are grateful, it's just like a magnet. I mean, gosh, you want love? You're, you're a person, let me just, this is totally off message, but this is going to fit for somebody. It's just as for you right now. Somebody, you want to be loved, you're so sick of going through life and nobody loves you. Express gratitude. Gratitude is a love magnet. You want, you, you, you sincerely thank people and it's a magnet of love. And you sincerely are grateful and God's favor and his blessing will be upon your life. And you say, well, I'm not doing it for a reward. That's right. We don't thank God to get from him. But there's just something about gratitude that just invites the presence of God upon your life. And there's great reward in gratitude. When we just refuse to be entitled... And we say, God, it's all because of your grace anyway. In Mark's gospel, the exact same story we can read there, that he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, reclining at a table. So apparently Lazarus is invited, but somebody else has set up the whole dinner. The woman comes in, Mary, with her alabaster flask of ointment of Purinard, very costly, broke the flask, poured it over his head. Those who were, some who were there said to themselves indignantly, so it wasn't just Judas, why was the ointment wasted like that? This could have been sold for more than 300 denarii to the poor. They scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now watch this. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You realize that prophecy is being fulfilled today in your own ears. Because I'm preaching the gospel, and we're talking about Mary. She didn't come expecting any kind of reward or recognition. It was the furthest thing from her mind. She just got caught up in the moment of, oh my, the Lord and my brother and what God has done. And another, in Luke's gospel, it says a sinful woman came. So she was very aware of her own unworthiness. And she was so grateful for what Jesus had done for her. The pure acceptance, the salvation of her soul. That she didn't even think twice. 
She just responded to the impulse of the Holy Spirit. And her perspective on everything had been changed. Let me remind you of just one thing that ought to change your perspective. According to Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. You're dead. You were a dead sinner. I was a dead sinner. I mean, I knew a lot about Jesus growing up, but you know how it is. You kind of hear everything, and there's nothing in your heart, and you say things like, well, I'm not even sure if I can really believe that because I've never had anything happen to me, and it's just kind of noise, right? But then there was this moment when, like, it clicked, and the Spirit of God, like, uh, grabbed hold of your heart, and you said, it's real, and I believe, and you knew the forgiveness of God, and it was like all those sins got washed away, And some of you are saying, well, one of these days, you know, I'll get right with God. No, you won't, because it's not about when you decide. It's when God decides that he's going to just come to you and forgive you. And it was this moment of just a spiritual awakening for me. And I've never been the same since. Scripture goes on to say that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. We were completely without hope and lost. But then God poured out his kindness upon us and his mercy and his forgiveness you got to be thankful to God every day that you're not dead and lost in your sins. you got to be thankful that, you know, I used to be living in the dark. I didn't see things the way that they were. I just was living life like everybody else. And then now I know that there is a God, and I know that his Holy Spirit is with me. And I'm so grateful for his guiding hand and his provision. I think we just need that more because we're so driven by what we feel that we're entitled to. I have a cousin who is one of the wisest, um, most humble, most grateful people I know. He's 41 years old. He's already sold a business, paid off his house. He has no debt. He's very successful. His name is Rael Lynn. And uh, he and I have been friends all my life. And recently, he wrote me an email because we were, I got to reconnect with him this summer. I went to see him up in Canada where he lives. And I just was one of those family members I just wanted to be around for a while and let him minister to my soul. I asked him to write me a summary of a conversation that we had. And uh, I want to close by reading you some words that powerfully affect me and challenge my sense of entitlement and call me to gratitude. He says, I'm the most selfish person that I know. I focus on myself, and I need to have my eyes opened. I serve at the nursing home because I need to see how good my life is. I need to see Terry, who has MS, who was an avid hunter, an outdoorsman, and who loved nature but is now totally paralyzed and can only look at trees and at the sun out of his window. I need to see Dennis, a young man of 32 who has no legs. I need to see Mike, a 28-year-old who hopped in a car with his friend the very first time his friend decided to stunt drive. They crashed, and his friend, the driver, walked away while Mike is paralyzed from the neck down. I serve because I need to realize how good God is to me. And when I see those guys in the nursing home look at me when I walk out, I understand how good my life is. I serve because I need to see God's mercy. When I help in the Boy Scouts and I see boys who have no fathers because of divorce 
boys who are angry and confused, boys who have never been to the mountains two hours away because their moms have neither the time or the money to take them there. I see God's mercy in my life by providing me with a father who loved me and a grandfather who is interested in me. I, see, I serve because I need to know that I matter. When I have a chance to teach Sunday school to 70 kids aged 7 to 11 every Sunday, when I'm praying for them, I begin to understand how much God loves them and how he wants to be their heavenly father. And they just need someone to show them the way. I serve because Jesus tells me to. Not only does he tell me to serve, he was the biggest servant of all, and I want to be like him. The Bible says if you serve, you will be blessed. And since I'm so selfish, I serve because it benefits me. But serving has opened my eyes to see how good my life is and how God's mercy has been on me. I've learned to complain less and to have a better attitude. Matthew 25, 35 talks about how when we feed the hungry and we're kind to the desperate, we're actually doing it to him. And I want to fulfill that verse. The bottom line is I serve because I need a constant reminder of all of the blessings in my life. It's been the best decision I've ever made. Isn't that amazing? Gratitude begins where entitlement runs out. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What's your heart really like? What's the answer to the question? Am I grateful? Is it the dominant driving force? Is it the sustaining theme of your days? God wants to make you grateful. I want to ask if you'll let him do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, only you can change our hardened hearts. We see it today and we ask for your help. We ask you to deliver us from entitlement and to set us free. Touch every person in this room and may they be quick to respond and do exactly what you say. May they say yes to you. And may you reward them for their incredible obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. See you next week.